All right, if you'll uh, take your Bibles and just join me in taking a look at some things tonight. Uh, as I said at the closure of that prayer, it's, it's just going to be a light study, and that's really the purpose of Wednesday nights. It's kind of a dress-down night. It uh, doesn't mean we don't talk about uh, the Bible and biblical things, but uh, you know, certainly you could make an eight-week series out of this, but it's something that I, I've come up with recently because it's, it's just so prevalent. I, I think this is probably the main issue in a lot of people's lives. It's become very pharmaceutical nowadays, and there's a huge debate about is depression something that is all mental, is it a chemical imbalance and all that. And I'm not here to settle that debate tonight. I just know it's a real thing. And I have three main points that I want to share with you that pretty much talk about what I believe are scriptural cases for how we can have victory over depression. Um, it's going to come and it's going to go. And that's actually my first point is that it's, you know, depression is the result of the overwhelmed, uh, the soul that is overwhelmed by circumstances. And certainly everything would be fine if we didn't have circumstances because circumstances change. <laughs> uh, that sounds like when, Bruce, um, when Bruce's uh, son-in-law says, oh, the vehicle didn't pass inspection. We have another one. Well, that vehicle died. And whatever vehicle they have right now, Bruce didn't give any detail, but it doesn't sound like it's that great. <laughs> circumstances, things change. Think about what Dave just said about his, his brother who was waiting for a, lo- a little bit of time on something that looked like and was, we were you know, very certain was skin cancer. And because of that circumstance, your life changes. The way you're thinking about things, the way you're perceiving things, it, it begins to change. Dana's talking about um, the things that she's hearing from her doctor. And certainly you, no one wants to hear you need to learn how to live with chronic pain. So certainly you're going to the doctor to try and find a solution, and now you may be hearing something that you don't want to hear because it's difficult. All of these things are circumstances, and they do change, and they can change very, very quickly. But it's the result of being overwhelmed with what is put in front of us. And there are examples of depression all through the Bible. There are examples of it everywhere, and I'm not, we're not going to go into chapter and verse in this area, but I'll just give you some. As an example, you read the book of Psalms, And you can see how it records different instances of specifically mournful songs, songs of wailing, lament, because Israel desired to go back into the land. They desired to go back and be reunited in Jerusalem and be able to worship there and worship properly. They lamented that. That's not a light word. That's not you get moved by a a, a movie scene. You know, These, these are not also tears of joy. It's very heavy pain. King David wept bitterly over his sin, and he was vexed by that sin to with uh, uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba and then um, killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He was vexed by it for many years, even resulting in the loss of his son to an early death. And, and his son, Absalom, was extremely rebellious too. That caused a depression for King David. King David wanted so badly to take the presence of the Lord, which dwelt in, in cedar and make a temple, but he wasn't able to do that because he was a man of war. He had to wait for his son to do that, and Solomon certainly did do that. But it's amazing to see in Psalm 51, you, you, you see King David's grief-stricken plea to create a clean heart in me. What do you mean by that? Of course, it was available, but that meant the way he felt was pretty rotten, pretty bad about his sin. Restoring to me the joy of my salvation. That doesn't sound like somebody who is enjoying their Christian life. I don't think depression's wrong. 
I'm like, I'm going to beat my chest up here and go, oh yeah, that, you just need to get over it. Folks, this, this is, we, we see these things in the Bible. Rachel, Sarah, Hannah, and many others lamented over their inability to bear children. Some of the, some of the most heart-wrenching portions of Scripture describe those women and the things that they, they were very uh, stricken with. I think Hannah specifically is, was one of my favorites to study, her in-depth prayer for a child and how she was ready to give that child to the Lord. And she, and she did. She did. But certainly there were difficulties there. And one of the ones I think is very prevalent too is when Jesus in Luke 24, 17 describes the two disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. He describes them. He says to them, why are you sad? Well, if everything's supposed to be hunky-dory and everything's great and nothing affects me, why would these guys uh, be experiencing grief? You know, it's, that story is amazing too because Jesus hid himself when he meant by that, what the scripture means by that is they didn't see who he really was. And they, they, they looked to him and they say, are you a stranger here in Jerusalem? Have you not heard what has happened? And then those two got probably the greatest Cliff Notes version of the Old Testament. He expounded all the things from, from, from the time of Moses that must be to bring him about. But they were very depressed. All the, disciples, uh, all the disciples were depressed as a result of Christ's death. So it's not, a, it's not an unbiblical thing. I don't think it's right for us to stand uh, in the pulpit as pastors or sit in front of cameras and shame people that have depression. I think a lot of pastors struggle with depression. It's something that if I'm not careful, it can happen to me too. And it, it has happened before. But you have to answer these things with the truth. And that leads me into my second point. But to conclude this first point it is, is to say, depression is common because the heaviness of circumstances are common. But point number two here, truth is the key to victory over depression. Truth is the key. And the truth is strong. Sometimes it can overwhelm us. What does the Bible say is truth? Before we go to John 17, 17, if you are there in Psalms chapter 42, I want you to see uh, verse 3. Psalm 42 in verse 3 says this. Oh man, I think I messed that verse up. I don't think that's the right one. It's verse 5, excuse me. Psalm 42 in verse 5 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. If you understand the passage here in 42 and 43, which many biblical scholars believe should just be 42, that's not up for discussion, but it's talking about the wickedness of the land, the wickedness of the people, and how that was causing direct punishment and chastening upon the entire nation. And the ones who were faithful, the one who were maintaining the righteousness, they were saying, we're, we're, we're suffering, we're going through all this pain, but yet they would remind themselves, why are, is, is, is your countenance low? Why are you discouraged? Who should we put our hope in? And what is the instruction there? It says, hope thou in God. Not in the people, not in the nation's ability to get right. We get right with God. We put our hope in Him. Now having seen that, go to John 17, 17. We looked at this very briefly last week. But in John 17, 17, we have some of the most encouraging portions of uh, words ever uttered about truth. Our whole justice system is built 
around finding the truth. Now, it's not being used to find the truth, but it is built to find the truth. That's how it's supposed to work. It's a wonderful system, and by the way, it's all biblical. You go read the Law of the Two Witnesses, which, shameless plug, if you can be here the next four Wednesday, uh, Sunday nights as we're getting into the record of God in 1 John, it is an absolute beautiful picture of how the legal system that God had set up in the Old Testament, he uses it to verify himself and the word that he says. But anyway, the system that we use to exonerate truth is supposed to find out what the truth is. And it's so important that we recognize what is truth. And Jesus says what it is in John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them, he's speaking about his disciples, through thy truth, thy word is truth. And when you see things in the book of Psalms where it says, the word uh, has been elevated over God's own name, because it it is God. When we study our Bibles, we are studying the words of God. These are not words of men. These are not cleverly crafted quotes and sayings that we can throw up on a bio or, or, or get a tattoo of. That's not the purpose of these things. They are literally nuggets of truth that we should continue to live by. He said it best in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What does it mean to sanctify? It's a Greek word, hagiadzo, boom, nailed it, which means to set apart for God's service. I want you to think about it this way. You have 10 apples and you take one of those apples and you set it apart for a particular service. It's been brought out of that group and it's going to serve a purpose. Whatever that purpose is, it's removed, it's set apart. You are set apart for God's service by the operation of the truth, which is found in God's word. It's how you came to put your faith in Christ. Even if you didn't trust Christ because you heard a Bible verse, if you heard a biblical principle, it's built off the word of God. That's how you came to faith in Christ. Without it, we would not... Romans 3, none seek after him. They are all gone out of the way. Consider also 2 Timothy 3.16, which we can take a look at that here, although you probably know it. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16... says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And it gives you four areas of profitability. By the way, you want profitability. You don't want to be unprofitable. That's, uh, I'll, I'll put it in 2023 terms. That's useless. You, I don't want to be useless. You don't want to be useless. We need to know the truth, which is in God's word. And this scripture talks about, um, this passage talks about the truth of scripture. And it says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. When we know God, we know the truth. When we know God, we know the truth. So then how do we experience victory over depression? Well, there's two specific things that I want to talk about, and they both start with the letter P. The first one is praise. I think it's, I think it's very hard to properly praise because there's a little bit of shame that has to be broken, okay? It's, it's, especially in conservative Christianity, which is kind of where we are here at Calvary Community Church. Okay, we don't do a lot of the what would be considered praise and worship. And I'm not saying we should do that and, and bring that in because a lot of it is driven with emotionalism. But when we do have the opportunity 
to praise the Lord with spiritual songs, we should do so. And it, it's not like you're singing along with the group. You should sing loudly, you should sing confidently, and you should sing based off of songs that are true. In a couple of weeks, one week from next week, um, I'm going to do, I'm going to give you some great hymns for dark times. And we're going to look at the lyrics of these hymns and why I think they're, why I think they're beautiful. And I'll tell you right now why it is. They're built off of truth. We're singing Bible stuff. That's what's beautiful about it. But I want you to see this in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 and Ephesians 5.19. We're not going to look at the Ephesians reference because it's essentially the same thing. But in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, there's a command here. It says, let the word, see that again? The word, sanctify them by truth. Uh, Thy word is truth. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. Let the word, which is profitable and is what sanctifies you, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Can I ask you a question tonight? If you had a richly amount of money in your bank account, would that be a good thing? Yeah, if, if, if whatever you had in there, if it was brought into the realm of richly, we may even be smiling a little bit more this evening. You know, you might be going, hey, some of these circumstances are not that bad. <laughs> we should have that same attitude that we would have towards a little bit more money in the account. We should look at a little bit more of the word of Christ dwelling in us. Man, that's a rich thing. I'm a rich man because I have the word. You're a rich person because you have the word. We've got the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. I went and saw beautiful models of Jerusalem in the second temple area, and I got to see some, some beautiful renderings of the temple. The Bible says that, that I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. Man, do I treat myself in such a way? Do I think of myself in such a way that is congruent with what the Scripture says about me? It's a very beautiful thing to understand. But here we are, we, we, we think we don't have enough because you don't have the, the material things. But getting back to this, this command here, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do, how do we do that? Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing uh, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So how are we able to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Sing about it. Sing praises about it. I think what Case Bohr does, many would, would kind of look at and go, ah, it's mediocre, you know, he's doing these scripture songs. That's Colossians 3.16. And when you're struggling with difficult times, learn how to sing. And I'm not saying learn how to carry a tune. I don't care how it sounds. You're not singing for me. You're singing for the Lord. I have, there, there's, there's, a, there's one of my favorite songs, and it's funny because of how I view it and how my wife views it. I don't know how I heard this song. It, somehow this CD ended up in my, my uh, 1998 Toyota Avalon that had this thing called a CD player. You remember that? Now, no, not so much. You got that Bluetooth, you know? Now you, need, you want the Bluetooth 80.0. <laughs> but I remember this CD somehow found its way in the CD player of my, of my car, and Kyla had left it in there. And this is, this is what she would play every single day at her daycare, which was right down the road. She worked there for almost eight-something years. And she had listened to this CD all the time. So to her, it's just background noise. But to me, I was having a really difficult time when I heard this song. I was really thinking about what's my, what is God's will for my life. I, I, you know, I want to go to school, but my schedule's not going to work. And, and so I got to make a decision. Am I going to move my entire family, which is just me and Kyla, up to Chicago and go to school there? Or what am I going to do? 
And these lyrics, which is a rendition of Psalms 46.10, came on a little kid's song, very well done, by the way. It's called Scripture Lullabies. But this is what the song said. And I still get emotional when I I I played this song today to get the lyrics, and I I was teary-eyed at my desk because of the truth of this song. It says, Be still, my soul. Be still and know that He is God. Rest quietly. Rest in His loving arms, for He is watching over you, ever faithful, ever true. So be still, my soul, and know. Be still and know that He is God. The second verse goes, Be still, my soul, be still and listen for His voice. Rest in His peace, knowing how much He cares, for He is watching over you, ever faithful, ever true. So be still, my soul, be still and know that He is God. That's a great reminder for me to what? Be still and know that in the hurricane that's going on, is God still God? Is He still with me? He's walking right here with me. That's one of the things this song could say, but it doesn't say. It's not, not that He's just watching over me from above, but that he, he, he resides with me. That's a beautiful truth to know. Friend, it will certainly be difficult at first, but learning to sing to the Lord when your burden is heavy is the process of extremely nourishing therapy to the depressed soul. I encourage you to get in the practice of memorizing hymns and singing those hymns as you're going through difficult times. There's nothing wrong with, with doing that. We do that right now when our favorite song comes on the radio from years ago. We go, oh, that was my jam. And automatically, feelings and memories come back up. We should train ourselves to do that with hymns. There's hymns that are just stuck in my brain, and I don't hear them for a while, and then boom. I'll tell you, one of them right now is on page 420 in times like these. We need an anchor in times like these. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus. His only son. Something like that. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Little, little truths. Can we see that that's true? We can find scripture to put little CF dot, which means cross-reference, boom, and you can see where those things are true. You're not just singing hopeful, wishful things. Please pay my rent. I'm just not sure. <laughs> I played these numbers. Can they come back on the screen? What is that? that? No, we don't know. We're singing scriptural songs, and what a blessing that can be. But the other thing that we should do, and we're going to go a little bit over just, uh, just to make sure we cover this because I know it's important, is the other word that starts with the letter P is prayer. This is equally important. I want you to see this in James chapter 5. The book of James is a great book. It's a difficult book. It's one of the most contested in the New Testament because it's just not rightly divided. But James chapter 5 in verse 13, it just talked about not swearing when things are, are difficult, right? And, and he's not talking about like, you know, making a promise or something, but, you know, using coarse language when things are difficult. What is, the, what is the opposite reaction in which we should learn to do? Verse 13, is any among you afflicted? We'll turn it into a Q&A tonight. I'll ask you the question that James asked his writers. Is any among you afflicted tonight? We all are. Absolutely. We are going through difficulties. What is the solution? Let 
him pray. I've said it time and time again, and some of you may think this is the only thing that I say, but this is one of the most important services that we have all week. It really is. Let him pray. I've often thought about having it possible to have these doors open all the time so that people can come in and there would be somebody who can sit with them and pray. Prayer is, sometimes people, I was just talking to Tracy about this because I was leaving and, and she was coming in and I, I, I stopped by and rolled down the window and I was talking to her and I said, sometimes people say, well, all we can do is pray. All we can do after we've asked Google and Siri and Alexa and we've saw what Dennis Phillips says about the weather, all we can do is pray. That's the best thing that we can do. It should be the first thing that we do. We should pray for all the things that afflict us. What does the next thing say? Is any merry? Is there anybody here tonight that is joyful? Yes, absolutely. I would agree. Let him sing psalms. Beautiful. Strike it up. You first. Let me hear you, you know? Look what he says in verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Our, our elder board is ready to do this. And we have done this for people. We've prayed for them to be healed. Now, there's a practice in here, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Some people take that to the extreme and they actually think that the anointing of the oil is what's, what heals a person. It's the prayer that does so. It's God responding to that prayer that is in his will. But oftentimes, we don't do this. Churches don't do this. You kind of get put on a block and no one actually prays for you. I know for a fact there are praying people in this ministry. One of them, he prays more than, the, than, than all of us who have our sight. And that's Tom. I, I rarely am able to get to the phone when he calls, but you know what is always there? A voicemail with a prayer request. And we were just talking about uh, Mr. Frank Heckman, who's bedridden. And many people would say, where's the joy in his life? He's found that in prayer. In prayer. Look what it says in verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be what? Healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I really do believe when you look at the banner of truth and you add spiritual songs and constant prayer, you're going to find healing. And I'm not, I am not going to stand up here and say it will be instant. But the more you learn to practice these things, the more instantaneous it will be. I'll, I will say that. I'm not saying it's like a secret formula, you know, I got to do these things and all of a sudden, boom, we're here. Okay, when do I feel what I'm supposed to feel? But as you walk in obedience to the Lord, you become more sensitive to his working. I really do believe that. I'm not a big feelings guy, but I know, and I've learned these things through successful past experiences. The more I yield myself to the Lord, the easier it is to feel at peace with what I'm going through. Some of the hardest stuff I've walked through was with Kyla a couple of years ago. And, and that's the hardest road that she has walked. It's, it's prepared us for many things in our lives. I think God did that for a reason. And I know there will be hard journeys ahead. I was talking with someone today who said some of his greatest fears is losing a loved one. I can understand what that's like. Losing my mother at eight years old, seeing her going to the hospital two years before. No, no six-year-old kid should see that. There's some purpose in that. God still gets the glory. But when we look at it from the right lens, 
it's hard to really find depression when we look at it through the right lens. But we do feel heavy because of our circumstances. Last one here is in Hebrews chapter 12, and this is my final point, which is we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. To avoid the long-term symptoms of depression. I'm just overwhelmed in, in even the, the ability to read these verses here. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. This is strategical here. There was a big warning that was given in Hebrews 10. You better not misuse the grace that you've been given in this new covenant. You better not tread a foot on the blood of Christ. All these warnings were given, but then there's what? Chapter 11. By faith. Moses, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And you have all these people who live their faith by their actions and by their lives. So what Hebrews 12 is giving us encouragement. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that doesn't mean there's Old Testament saints sitting down, crossing their legs, going, all right, let's keep an eye on Armando today. How's he doing? You think he's going to make it? What do you think, Noah? I don't know. He didn't do good last week, but he'll do better. That's not what this is. When it says a cloud of witnesses, <coughs> they are our example because they bore witness of their faith in God. And it says because of what these people did, because of their faithfulness to the word of God, look what it says, let us lay aside every weight. I think if there's an accurate definition of depression, it is heaviness. It's a fog that becomes so dense you can't think clearly but on one subject. You can lay that aside. And look what it says. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do we lay aside that weight? Of course, by the encouragement of those who have gone before us and how they finished well, but ultimately, this is what sustained them in verse 2 and what should sustain us. Looking unto who? Jesus. Nobody else. Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it, he finished it. Now he's asking us to walk to that finish line. Keep, just keep it going. Just keep it going. I love the difference between a sprint and a marathon. Boy, that's, that's a Christian life. I've seen many young men start at a pace they cannot keep and they're not serving the Lord today. And it, it burdens me. I, I don't like it. But it's a reminder to myself you just keep doing what you're supposed to do. You just keep doing what you're supposed to do. And the opportunities will come. I would have never thought that some of the things that have already happened in my ministry life have come to pass in the amount of time that's gone by. It's not me, folks. It's the Lord. And this, you can experience that same victory. But you've got to look to the Lord. Because you're going to get over this depression that you're going through. You may even find victory in it tonight. And you're going to wake up tomorrow and your body's going to forget what your mind was taught. And there's going to be all sorts of things that try to inform the way you're supposed to think. You just keep your eyes fixed on Christ. We look back to the cross because it's brought us to where we are today, but we're looking forward to the clouds. Because there's, there's coming a day when we're going to be out of here, gone. And for our brother in Christ, Hormel, who passed away this week, he's gone. He was received up into the clouds. I believe, by an angelic transport. And hopefully you and I get to hear a little thing called a trumpet, and then we go. But if not, and you find yourself in a situation where you're dying, 
The end is not near. The beginning is, is just about there, you know? You're just about to start eternal life. You can have that joy right now. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not coming up to you here tonight and saying, look at me, clean pressed. I got, everything's great. That's, that's certainly not the case. You know how many things I've wanted to do since I've gotten back from Israel, but this silly little illness has stopped me? Like, literally, it is the most annoying thing, and it can be very discouraging at times. But I've got to learn to lean on the Lord. I've got to learn to lean on the Lord. And know that there's, there's powers working against uh, the advancement of the gospel and the teaching of God's word. You know what? I am glad I've got men that I can lean on. Trent literally getting the, the text on Friday night. Hey, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. You know, you see that and you're like, okay. I was pretty confident. I said, but I'm pretty sure, but just in case. And then like five o'clock or something, or maybe seven o'clock on Saturday night. Hey man, you're going to have to go. And he, he was, he was, was, was he not ready? He's ready. I'm thankful I got men like that, men like Dr. Gilbert, who are talking about things about how you know your Bible, or how we got our Bible. I'm so glad he's doing it, and I'm not doing it. I'm just glad I nailed Hagiazzo, you know what I'm saying? So, but, and, and all of the people that serve in this ministry, thankful for that. Even when the things are not going great right now for how I want them to go, as far as my health right now, but I can, we can trust the Lord for that. But how do you find that victory over depression? It's, it's twofold, and I gave you praise and prayer, but I think more often, or above those things, it's truth. You pray things that are true. You sing songs that are true. Your countenance will be lifted, and you look unto Jesus. He started it, and he finished it, and he's just asking you to trust him along the way. Amen? If you're here tonight and you don't know where you're going when you die, it, we use this illustration to clearly show how you can know you're going to heaven. If this hand were to represent you and me, I'm going to let my wallet represent sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. Now God, he loves us very much, but he does hate this sin. And that sin separates us from him. The Bible says in order to get to heaven, you have to be perfect. Just like God, you have to have the, the equivalent of his righteousness, which is perfection. And we all fall short of that. That's why we're called sinners. That word sin means to miss the mark. The wages for sin is death, eternal separation from him forever in a literal fire-burning hell, which was created for the devil and his angels, but is also where sin will be uh, cast out. And that, that's a very important thing to remember. Another thing we have to see, too, that the Scripture says, there's no good works that can pay for this sin. Many people think, if I do enough, I'll be able to pay this off like it's a credit card debt. It's, it's not. This only, the only accepted payment for sin is death. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not starting something brand new. It's not making any payment. There used to be a dollar in here as a joke from somebody, but it's gone now. But there's no money in here because you can't, you can't pay for your sin. That's part of that illustration. The Bible says that. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2.9. This hand will represent God's only begotten Son. I use this just for the sake of the illustration, so I mean it reverently. But this will represent Jesus Christ. And we see in John 3.16 what brought us into eternal life, but what so many people are missing. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What's the flashpoint of salvation? When does it occur? Whosoever believeth in him. 
What does that mean? You put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ's passion, as Luke describes it, which is his death, his burial, and his resurrection. By his shed blood, we receive the remission of sin. And the moment that you put your faith in Christ, you receive as an exchange, your sin has been paid for, it's removed as far as the east is from the west, and you receive the righteousness of God. So now when God looks at you, he doesn't see this sin of which he hates. He sees the righteousness of his son. He sees Christ. And so now you go along this life living the sanctified life, which is the daily denial of uh, sin and, and living in righteousness, but that has nothing to do with your salvation. How do you know you're going to heaven? Oh, I live a good life. That's, that's not enough. You got a sin payment? Jesus has offered that sin payment. The moment that you believe on him, you receive as a free gift everlasting life. And the Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life. 1 John is all about that. There's three different places where it says that specifically. We already have eternal life. And how long does eternal life last? Forever. So once you're saved, are you saved forever? Yes, regardless of how you act or how you behave. And some people are like, er, what? I'm not saying you should go out and do that. But Christ has paid for all of our sin, and he will discipline you as a loving father should and would do. And trust me, God's not going to go, oh, I forgot about that one. He will discipline you for, for that sin in your life. But you can know you have eternal life by simple faith in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate victory over depression right there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed so no one's looking around. If you're on the internet tonight and that made sense to you, I encourage you to put your faith in Christ. If you're here in the audience for the, and that made sense for the first time, maybe you're trusting in your good works or something else to save you, I, I pray that you'd put your faith in Christ. And would you just let me know by lifting up your hand? That doesn't save you. It just lets me know, hey, pastor, I put my faith in Christ tonight. Would you pray for me? I know that most of you here understand that. And I want to encourage you because I know how prevalent depression is. It's happened in my life. It, it, I know it's happened in your life. You may be going through a valley right now. I want to encourage you to lean on those spiritual songs that we have. And they're called spiritual songs because they're built off the truth of God's word. Learn to, learn to cry out to the Lord. And know that depression is something that is very common. It's, it's, the overwhel- it's the soul that's overwhelmed by circumstances. But learn to look unto Jesus and to pray. Are you afflicted? Pray. Are you sick? Ask your church for prayer and we will pray for you. But above all, we need to look to Jesus. He started it. He's going to finish it, and he's asking us to trust him along the way. Father, thank you so much for the examples that we have in your word. Bring us back here safely for uh, worship on Sunday morning. We pray, Lord, uh, those prayer requests again, we ask that they're all answered in your, in your will. In Jesus' name we pray these things.